This is the McShane Bible study, and I think I'm going to do days 23 and 24 together today. Or at least in this recording, I just I did the other one a couple hours ago from the 22nd. And I said repeatedly that one of the things that I really have in mind that I want to do in, in this year's study is just point out the pictures in Genesis. And one of them is uh, Abraham, in, in Genesis 24, Abraham... Uh, sends his servant to get a son, uh, bride for his son. And so we kind of see that as a picture of God using the Holy Spirit to get a bride for his son, Jesus. We see the sovereign hand of God in the actual story that we read literally. And, and then obviously the Holy Spirit is, is like that as well. And we see how Rebecca volunteers and, and she, you know, she goes willingly. We see once Jesus, or, or Abraham is not willing to send Isaac back into the land from which they came, now that they're in this promised land. Uh, so we see, again, a, a picture of Jesus, not, not to come back to the world, but to bring the bride to him in his kingdom. We also see that those of the world, or the world, don't want to let us go. Don't want to let the bride go. The, the, the world pulls at us, and Rebecca's family didn't want her to go. Uh, but Rebecca was quite willing to to go to the Lord. And, and of course, even before she gets there, he, there's gifts given. Um, you know, she's given royal attire, which I kind of mentioned yesterday. And she willingly chooses to go. Or, I said yesterday, but this morning is whenever you listen to it. And this uh, blessing is a, a familiar blessing of, uh, you know, God's purpose for his set-apart people, that you become thousands of tens of thousands, that you possess the gate of, of your enemies, right? That, that he, his people remake his kingdom with his lines of authority and his glory everywhere through these people. And the chapter ends with them becoming unified as husband and wife. And we know from Ephesians 5 that, that, you know, that's a picture of Christ and his church, this picture of marriage. In Genesis 25, we see Abraham gets remarried. He has six other sons, and they all get gifts. But the true inheritance is saved for the son and the children of the son. Christ and his bride, the many sons of God. Genesis 25, we come to the story of Jacob and Esau, and we just see that, you know, the scripture says, uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And Jacob, we'll see in the next few chapters, you know, he's a terrible guy in many ways, but he loved the Lord, he loved the promises of the Lord, and he went after him. Esau despised his birthright. He cared about the world not the promises of the Lord, not the ways of the Lord. And therefore, God loved Jacob, hated Esau. This is a picture to us of, do we choose to live for the Lord, for his way, his kingdom, his truth, his wisdom? Or do we choose to live for our own flesh? Matthew 23 kind of has a similar theme in that he's... He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's saying, your heart is not in the right place. Your heart is on religion instead of 
being someone who desires the deep things of the Lord and serving the people, just as we saw in the last chapter of 22, um, you know, love the Lord with all your heart and love others as yourself. And so now he's saying, but you in your lives, you, you don't live that way. You live for the things of the world, not for God and his kingdom. And so you're a hypocrite in everything that you do. Jesus hates religion, and yet what have we done? We've built a religion around Jesus. And then flipping to 24, you know, it's, it's a wonderful chapter. And after he foretells the destruction of the temple, you know, they ask him, what will be the signs of these things? The signs of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus begins to describe a lot of things. And I think religion has most people thinking that like these things all happen in a day. It's like, it's just kind of all over. But when you read all the things he talks about, he talks about a a lot of things happening. There's a serious amount of time covered in the end times. And of course, Peter declared the end time started 2000 years ago. So if you, if you struggle with the idea that we could be in the end times, well, Peter said it 2000 years ago. So we're there. Um, but also I would say we are in important end times, but that doesn't mean Jesus is coming back uh, tomorrow or in a year or in 10 years. Um, my personal opinion is it's further out than that without knowing when it will be. But a lot of this does sound very familiar, you know, false prophets, lawlessness. There's crazy lawlessness going on right now. Everyone comes up with a theory and that becomes uh, what we should live by. And we've thrown out all law and order. It doesn't matter. As long as you have a good rationale for what you're doing, uh, we're completely lawless. Like, eh, we're certainly not completely lawless, but there's a lot of lawlessness about, and the love of many has grown cold. So he's looking for those of us who endure, no matter what happens, that we continue to seek him, come closer to him through all these things. And then the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So did he say the gospel of salvation? No, he said the gospel of the kingdom. Then he talks about the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. And he talks about fleeing. And then he says the, the woman, he talks about the woman who's pregnant. Go read uh, Revelation 12 and compare these things to see what he's saying. He says, false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform many great signs and wonders, but do not be led astray. That they're, they're, they're performing signs and wonders and saying, look, here's the Christ, there he is, but don't believe it, Jesus says. But he says, for those who, who seek him, truly seek him and him above everything else, that they will be made to know of his coming. But it's very interesting, starting in verse 29, we see tribulation, we see what appears to be eclipses, solar and lunar. Uh, we see stars falling from heaven. We see that, that you know, we know that that's uh, an, angelic, the, the uh, demonic powers of the kingdom of darkness uh, falling from their thrones. We see the heavens shaken and the powers, you know, the power shaken and coming down to earth. And we see in heaven, so I, I'll add, we see this is the second heaven, sign of the Son of Man. Then all the earth will mourn, and I see the Son of Man coming out of the clouds of heaven with power and, and great glory. 
So we see sonship. We see Jesus through the many sons of God in these uh, heavenly realms established. And then angels are sent out and his elect are gathered from all over the earth, from one end of heaven to the other. And he says, he said, no one knows the day or the hour, but he also says, look, look at the fig tree. You're supposed to know the seasons. We are supposed to be aware of the spiritual season that we are in. So if you just say, oh, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. Well, he also said you should know the spiritual season you're in and what God is doing. And then after he says that, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the sun. So he says you should be aware of the season. That doesn't mean you're going to know every detail. When someone starts throwing out a date, the Lord's returning on this date. Be very suspicious. But when set, when this Lord said was, or when someone says this is the season that we're in, well, take that to the Lord to see if that's correct. Because Jesus said we should know that. Doesn't mean everyone that says that is correct. Obviously, people can say opposite things. But the, he is saying we should be aware of the spiritual seasons. And you remember another place, he mocked the Pharisees for, or Sadducees, whoever he was speaking to, for, uh, you know, predicting the weather, but not having a clue what the spiritual season was. And he says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so we see this flood. What happened in the flood? The earth was terribly shaken and, and really destroyed. Um, but a remnant people were saved in the ark. Uh, we see, I mentioned Revelation 12 a minute ago, we see a flood coming out of the dragon's mouth against the woman. We see previously a sun company that was raised up and protected, but we also see many suns coming out of this tribulation. And so these same things are talked about here. Well, I think I mentioned recently Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 47, when the the water, the living waters, the river of life coming out of the throne room of God. Uh, a picture of the Garden of Eden there as well. But it starts shallow and it gets deep. It gets to the point. If you're, <laughs> you're drowning if your head is not above water because the waters get deep. That becomes a flood. And so you must be a part of the head. You must be up in the head, which is Christ in order to not be taken away by the floods. Because what was happening, as he says, you know, in the days of Noah, people were eating, drinking, marrying, you know, they were just kind of living their life. And then rain came. And at first they thought, whoa, what is this? They'd never rained before. This is kind of weird stuff. They probably weren't even too worried. They're maybe even delighted. Who knows? Maybe concerned. But then it got deeper and deeper and deeper. Those, those are the days we think, oh, this virus will be done soon. No problem. There will be more stuff. It, it, uh, the flood waters will rise like the days of Noah. And then he says, So who then is the faithful wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. He said, This is a blessed time. This is a coming into the glory of the Lord for everything we've been created for to live in such a time as this. This is exciting times. In Nehemiah 13, we see that in the book of Moses, no Ammonite or Moabite should uh, ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them. Remember, those are the sons of Lot, we just read a few days ago. Lot, who loved the world so much that his daughters grew up in, in corruption and became the mothers of Ammon and Moabite, Moab. You see, Lot was righteous, 
but he loved the world. And therefore, what was the fruit of Lot? Uh, evil and curses, because he couldn't separate himself from the world. He was righteous in heart, but that's not what came out of his life. And then we see Tobiah is an Ammonite. He'd been against the work of the Lord, and now he's he's uh, wormed his way in. He's He's gotten favor with people inside the house of God to actually use the house of God for his own purposes. He's not supposed to be in there, and yet he's manipulating the house of God for his own purpose. So God has to clean out these types from his house so that only his pure people reside in his house, so that the full glory of God can be known in creation. And that's the final word of the whole last chapter of Nehemiah, is just cleansing the people to be a pure people for God and his kingdom. Then we flip over to Esther 1, and just for background, if you're not familiar, uh, Esther, she's not even introduced in this first chapter, but she... uh, rises up from being a nobody to uh, marrying the king of Persia, who we do see in this chapter. He's king of the whole, I mean, he's super powerful king from India to Ethiopia in uh, Persia, modern-day Iran. So massive kingdom. He's super powerful. And we see in this, we see a picture of, there's two women depicted in in uh, Revelation. We see... Uh, the woman I've already just mentioned in Revelation 12, who goes through difficulty, she represents the true church. And then we see there's another woman, the harlot, who represents the false church. The church who believe, they believe they're the real church. They kind of represent themselves as Christian. But we see she's riding the beast and she's judged and she's done away with. We kind of see this picture here of this queen, Vashti, as being like this. When the king calls on her, she does not show up. She is quite content in her own little domain, being queen with all these people around her, thinking she's wonderful because she's the queen, she's rich, she's powerful. And so it's all about her. And when the king calls on her, she does not show up. And so this is a very good representation of the false church that will be judged in these last days. Uh, according to Revelation. In Acts 23, I, I think it's kind of cool just to see the Lord's providence. Like the enemy is has everybody stirred up trying to kill him, which he knew when he showed up. And then Acts, you know, occur that bring him to riding with a huge army surrounding him <laughs> up back on his way to, uh, on his way towards Rome. That's going to take him a couple years to get there. But, you know, God said, I want you to be in Rome, <laughs> just as I've had you. You know, he was doing something in the spirit. He was giving a message in Jerusalem, and then he was giving a message in Rome to important capitals. And so what he was doing was spiritually significant. God was arranging, because we can't really see anything. What was the benefit of him doing it? In the natural, we see no benefit. But in the spiritual, he was doing important things God wanted him to do. And so while the enemy is stirred up having people trying to kill him, uh, the world provides, God provides, but we see it through the hand of people in the world, an army escorting him on his way to where God needs him to be next. We see Paul go through a lot of trials. The enemy, of course, is constantly uh, an accuser of us before the court of the Lord. Um, we are 
saved through the blood of Jesus, so long as we understand, apply his blood and stand firm in who he is, both in our in what he's done for us and our conscience in living according to his way, then we are clean and above reproach of the enemy, uh, but only then. And so we have to learn that our enemies are not of this world, but are spiritual and understand the spiritual battle that's going on around us, that we can rise up in these things and, and take the place that God has designed for us. And I'll end it there today. God bless you.